The fundamental question that these parables ask is this. Is it possible for someone who has fallen away from the faith, a baptized child, to be brought to repentance? And the answer is yes, a thousand times yes. It has to be yes. Or I'm damned. And so are you. Pastor Peter Bender speaking at the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. But if we as earthly parents love our children in spite of the fact that they rebel and maybe wander from home, how much more does the Father's love for us in Christ Jesus never cease? That is the birthright that you and I have been given in our baptism. That is our consolation. You can watch and listen to Pastor Peter Bender's teaching, Making the Case for a Dying Man's Consolation, and all of the presentations from this year's conference for a contribution of $300. It's available via on-demand video stream or podcast. Learn more at issuesetc.org. Him, oh, how great is your compassion. Speaking there of the great and boundless mercy of God, in this coming Sunday's gospel reading, according to the one-year lectionary, we encounter in a parable told by our Lord two individuals, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. One pleads for mercy, the other one does not. The one who pleads for mercy receives mercy and, as Jesus says, goes up to his house justified. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in live on this Tuesday afternoon, the 15th of August. It's time to look forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, the 11th Sunday after Trinity. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest, pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, welcome back. Good to be with you, Todd. How does this gospel reading, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18, how does this shape the themes in the various propers for this coming Sunday? Well, if you go to the tax collector's prayer, God be merciful to me, a sinner, you really see the essence of the Christian faith, that of a broken and a contrite heart that clings to the grace and mercy of God alone and that forsakes any notion of salvation and forgiveness by one's own works. So if you think about the Old Testament reading has the account of Cain murdering Abel, and there you have the works righteous Cain, who is angry at his brother, because when Cain offered his gift, he offered it out of that faith in himself. The same faith that we see in the Pharisee in the gospel for the day, Abel's offering was accepted because he offered it not out of a works righteous faith, but out of a faith in God's mercy. In the epistle for the day, you have the classic Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. That's the faith of the tax collector who in the gospel for the day beats his breast and says, God be merciful to me, a sinner. So I really think that prayer of the tax collector, God be merciful, you know, he he holds his head in shame. He, he can't even lift up his eyes and he beats his breast in sincere contrition and repentance. 
and he lays hold of the mercy of God alone in Jesus. And Jesus says he went home justified. So that really ties together all of the propers for the day, from the colic to the introit and the three readings and the hymn of the day. Jesus justifies the broken and contrite Christian. That's the theme for the day. And it's captured in the hymn of the day. And there's a lot of wonderful catechism connections as well. The hymn of the day is, Oh, how great is your compassion. And it's five stanzas in LSV. And the compassion for the sinner, as this hymn outlines, is the source of consolation then for the Christian. So again, it's captured in that God be merciful to me, a sinner. And the compassionate justifying word of the gospel leads us then to the supper of our Lord, and it leads us in Jesus' mercy to live our lives as Christians, though we daily struggle with sin in the freedom and joy of his forgiveness, and it leads us to eagerly look forward to the life to come. So the hymn of the day, oh, how great is your compassion, faithful Father, God of grace, that with all our fallen race, In our depth of degradation, you had mercy so that we might be saved eternally. Your great love for this has striven that we may from sin made free live with you eternally. Your dear son himself has given and extends his gracious call to his supper leads us all. Firmly to our soul's salvation witnesses your spirit, Lord, in your sacraments and word. There he sends true consolation giving us the gift of faith that we fear not hell nor death. And I pause at that stanza three because in the intro for the day and in the psalm of the day, there is a heavy connection to the divine service of the Old Testament and then for us the divine service in the New Testament where the Lord comes to us through word and sacrament and where we approach him like the tax collector did in penitent faith, God be merciful to me, a sinner. So verse four, Lord, your mercy will not leave me, ever will your truth abide. Then in you I will confide, since your word cannot deceive me. My salvation is to me safe and sure eternally. I will praise your great compassion, faithful Father God of grace, that with all our fallen race, in our depth of degradation, you had mercy, so that we might be saved eternally. And I think of the epistle for the day, Ephesians 2, you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. By grace you have been saved. So with that in mind, Todd, the catechism connections, the gospel for the day, Jesus says that that tax collector went home justified. So we could focus on justification under the second article of the creed, or we could focus on the sacrament of holy baptism where it says that we are justified by his grace. We could also focus on the daily significance of our baptism, the drowning of the old Adam through daily contrition and repentance, or confession and the office of the keys. Confession has two parts. First, that we confess our sins. Second, that we receive absolution, that is forgiveness. Or what sin should we confess under that section? Before God, we plead guilty of all sins, even those we are not aware of as we do in the Lord's Prayer. But I think the final focus from the catechism that I'd like to highlight, because it shows up in the collect for the day, is the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer. And lead us not into temptation. 
And the Catechism says in its explanation, God tempts no one. We pray in this petition that God would guard and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our sinful nature may not deceive us or mislead us, now this phrase, into false belief, despair, and other great shame and vice. Although we are attacked by these things, we pray that we may finally overcome the victory. So this idea of false belief, despair, other great shame and vice, to be tempted to despair, a sense of hopelessness. And I think this is kind of a sub-theme for this Sunday. Despair is the feeling that often creeps into the Christian's conscience, especially in the ongoing struggle with sin from which we find that we are so desperate to free ourselves, but we still are entangled in it, that we tend to question, is it possible for me to retain the Lord's forgiveness? Or have I lost my salvation? So false belief, despair, the feeling of hopelessness, which can lead to a sense of great shame that's captured in the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer. And I think you could say that is often what is behind our cry for the Lord's forgiveness when we approach the temple of the Lord on Sunday morning, as the tax collector did. God be merciful to me, a sinner. What is the collect for the day? Almighty and everlasting God, always more ready to hear than we to pray and to give more than we either desire or deserve. Pour down upon us the abundance of your mercy, forgiving those things of which our conscience is afraid, there it is, and giving us those good things that we are not worthy to ask, except through the merits and mediation of Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. So the reference to the conscience, you know, forgiving those things of which our conscience is afraid. What are we afraid of? And any Christian who lives in this world who struggles with his or her own sinful weaknesses is confronted from time to time with the idea that if I continue to struggle in the way that I'm struggling, perhaps I have lost God's mercy. Perhaps I have lost my salvation because of my sin. So forgiving us those things of which our conscience is afraid. I'm afraid of losing Jesus. I'm afraid of losing my salvation. I'm afraid of losing the hope of salvation. I'm afraid maybe I'm not the Christian. And so that is sin because it means it's a doubting of the grace of God, the mercy of God in our baptism and in the absolution and in the supper of our Lord. So forgiving us those things of which our conscience is afraid, and then giving us those good things, of course, we're not worthy to ask them, except through the merits and mediation of Christ our Lord. So the atonement of Christ, his merits in his death upon the cross, and his mediation, his intercession before the Father on the basis of his mercy and not our works is what gives us boldness to approach him, and it is the foundation for our faith in his abundant mercy. The intro is drawn from Psalm 68. How does it fit in? Holy habitation. So listen for that and that God goes with his people. So it's going to be this intro from Psalm 68 is going to be signifying the comforting significance of what 
was the temple or the tabernacle of the Lord in the Old Testament? And then what is the temple or tabernacle of the Lord for us today? Namely, when we gather together as the baptized faithful, where his word is preached and where his sacraments are administered to us, Christians in constant need of his forgiving grace throughout our earthly pilgrimage. So the intro, it reads, God is in his holy habitation. He settles the solitary in a home. The God of Israel, he is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Now that's the antiphon, holy habitation, the dwelling place. The solitary would be those who are alone, but he sets us in a home, the home of the baptized faithful, the home of the church, the home wherein we have communion with Christ and with one another by the forgiving word of the gospel. He's the one who gives power and strength to his people. And then the intro, it goes on with the body of the text. God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered, and those who hate him shall flee before him. But the righteous, now there's the reference that the tax collector went home justified, declared righteous. The righteous shall be glad because they're declared righteous by the mercy and grace of their God. The righteous shall be glad. They shall exalt before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. There's that theme of exaltation and joy of life. Even though we struggle with sin, our joy is in our justification for Jesus' sake. O God, when you went out before your people, in your goodness, O God, you provided for the needy. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. So there you have a hearkening back not only to the temple, the holy habitation of the Lord, the tabernacle in the Old Testament, but that you went out before your people as a recollection of how the Lord faithfully led the children of Israel through their sojourn in the wilderness, a sojourn fraught with much struggle with sin, backsliding, and rebellion, yet the Lord was faithful, and he never turned away the broken and contrite of his people as they approached him daily at the hour of the evening sacrifice to confess their sins and to receive his mercy. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning. According to the one-year lectionary, we're into the Alleluia verse from Psalm 90, the Psalm of Moses, after this. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we continue our adventures in Acts with reporting back to Antioch, the occasion of the First Council, Peter's response, James's response, and the Council's letter. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. How do the global flood, circumcision, and the Israelites wandering in the wilderness foreshadow the baptismal flood in Christ? Find out in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for August, The Baptismal River, Studying the Sacrament Throughout Scripture. This new Bible study is published by Concordia Publishing House, their phone number 1-800-325-3040, or find out more about The Baptismal River at issuesetc.org. The Baptismal River, Studying the Sacrament Throughout Scripture. For sinners only. You're listening to Issues Etc. Is your child struggling at school? Are you thinking about homeschooling? Would you like help knowing what to teach and how to teach it? 
The Simply Classical Curriculum from Memoria Press provides an enriching, step-by-step classical Christian education for students who have autism, learning or behavioral difficulties, ADHD, and more. You'll find everything you need, including daily lesson plans to guide your way. Learn more at simplyclassical.com. Use LPR23 to save on your order. simplyclassical.com. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com. LutherAcademy.com. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, the 11th Sunday after Trinity, with Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. So, Peter, the Alleluia verse, how does it read and how does it lead us into the gospel reading? The Alleluia verse is Psalm 90, verse 1. It is the first verse of a psalm of Moses. Alleluia, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Alleluia. So here again, dwelling place, just like habitation in the intro for the day. All generations, God deals with us in fundamentally the same ways in which he dealt with the generations of believers before us, going back to the Old Testament. It's not that he dealt with the Old Testament church differently than he dealt with us. The the Old Testament worship life, the divine service there at the tabernacle and the temple was still a divine liturgy, which they were to approach as a gift of God's grace to them as sinners with repentant faith and with a faith in God's promise of ultimate deliverance in the Redeemer. Well, that's the same attitude, approach of faith, whereby we come into the services of the church today. So if they saw themselves as this liturgy is our work, this liturgy is our doing, if they approach the sacrifices of the Old Testament in that way, that was a faith that was upside down. It saw those things as their works rather than the work of the Lord and what he provided. So the same thing is true for us. We approach the divine service not as if we are doing something for God in the participation in the service, in the liturgy, in the sacraments, but rather the Lord is there and in the Lord's preaching and in the Lord's supper, he is coming to us and he is dwelling with us. And so he deals throughout all of the generations of the church in fundamentally the same ways. I mean, the call to repentance and faith, law and gospel, and the divine service of God coming to us, not on the basis of our works or merit, but on the basis of the atonement of Christ, that runs consistently throughout both Testaments. So the word and sacraments, if you will, of the divine service of both Old and New Testament churches, where he dwells with his people, for their salvation. And then that becomes the source of great comfort and certainty for us as Christians when we are troubled with our sin. The Holy Gospel is Luke 18, 9 through 14, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. 
Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous, and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the gospel of the Lord. And this is one of those gospel readings where saying that in conclusion, this is the gospel of the Lord really rings true, doesn't it? I tell you, this man went to his house justified, declared righteous. The Pharisee exalted himself in self-righteous faith, but the tax collector was humbled by the grace of God and confessed his sin, and he went home justified. So Jesus' opening words interpret the parable, don't they? It is addressed to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and then despised others or looked down their nose at others. Jesus' opening words, therefore, also speak against even trusting in our penitent confession as if it were a good work of our own rather than a miracle of faith worked in us by God's word. So that would be the error of contritionism, you know, where we see our contrition and repentance and our confession as our work that God then rewards with forgiveness. So in no way, shape, manner, or form are we called to trust in anything that we have done, but to lay the entirety of the hope of salvation and forgiveness upon what Christ has done. So God forgives, not because I have a penitent confession. No, God forgives, God justifies, and it is always based upon the work of Christ and the grace of God in Jesus. So a penitent confession is merely the miracle of faith that receives his justifying word and trusts in his forgiveness rather than self. So there are a lot of words that are faith words. If we understand faith as the passive trust of the heart that receives Christ Jesus and clings to the promise of forgiveness in the gospel, repentance is a faith word. Godly contrition is a faith word. To fear, to love, to trust, as the Ten Commandments outline in all of its explanations, are faith words. So the miracle of faith is what God works through his word. And the miracle of faith receives this justifying word and trusts in this forgiveness rather than self. I like if you translate the Pharisee stood and prayed thus, I thank God I'm not like other sinners. But if you look at the text closely, it can be translated the Pharisee's God was himself because he literally prayed to himself. You know, his prayer, it sounds like a prayer, 
God, I thank you. I'm not like other men. But it's really not a prayer at all because it is not, though it seems to be addressed to God, it's not based on the mercy of God. He attempts to approach God on the basis of his standing, not on the basis of God's mercy. So he prayed to himself. And so we see that a God is whatever we look to or trust in for our greatest good. And that was his greatest good, myself, my standing, my wealth, my piety, my devotion, and so forth. The tax collector's God, on the other hand, was the Lord, who is merciful, the merciful Savior of sinners who despair of themselves and trust only in him for salvation. And I think, Todd, here, we should endeavor as preachers to help our hearers see themselves in the shoes of that tax collector. I think we need to help them see themselves in the shoes of the Pharisee from time to time when we are plagued with our own brands of self-righteousness. But finally, in the end, we want to bring them to see themselves as being in the shoes of the tax collector. And so if we can identify the fact that sometimes our people really are tempted to despair because of the struggle with sin, We can look at that tax collector and we can see that here is a man who is just like us. He was troubled by his sin. He was ashamed of himself. You know, you think of Paul's words, the good that I would, I don't do that, which I would not is the very thing that I do. Oh, wretched man that I am. That spot on describes that tax collector. So if we help our hearers see that and to see themselves in that tax collector, But then here that when the tax collector says, God, be merciful to me, Jesus says he went home justified. The only faith that justifies is the faith that lays hold of Christ alone. So that reality has got to be brought home. And there's such great comfort if God forgave the likes of this despairing, troubled tax collector, then he can forgive me. I think a couple of Other things should be noted with this gospel. I think most listeners today in the 21st century would hear this gospel and just think about it as like, you know, I'm going down the street and I walk up to the temple and I'm going to say a prayer. But actually this going up to the temple is not a casual going to the temple, but rather a reference to the evening sacrifice of prayer, the daily divine service at which the congregation of the Old Testament church gathered to confess sin and receive absolution every day. That's really the context of Jesus' parable here. So the reality of sin and its effect upon the Christian should not escape notice in this parable. And since that was the daily sacrifice that God established for them to deal with the ongoing, ever-present reality of the sinful struggles that we have in our lives, how much more should we understand that daily contrition and repentance and fleeing to God's mercy in Christ is central uh, to the Christian life and our earthly pilgrimage? It's why we go to the temple of the Lord, to his holy habitation. The only faith that justifies is the faith that lays hold of Christ. And so in that regard, I'm reminded of the Augsburg Confession. Article 4, the German translation, says that we receive forgiveness of sin and become righteous before God by grace, for Christ's sake, through faith, when we believe that Christ suffered for us 
and that for his sake our sin is forgiven and righteousness and eternal life are given to us. For God will regard and reckon this faith as righteousness, as Paul says in Romans 3 and 4. Or the Latin translation of that same article, our churches also teach that men cannot be justified before God by their own merits, strength, or works, but are freely justified for Christ's sake through faith when they believe that they are received into favor and that their sins are forgiven on account of Christ, who by his death made satisfaction for our sins. This faith God imputes to us for righteousness. So there is what it means to be justified, doesn't it? To be declared righteous for Jesus' sake, and that declaration is received by faith. This man went to his home justified. It is the promise then for him and for us of freedom and joy in the Lord. And that prayer, God be merciful to me a sinner. What a simple but fervent prayer that nails the centrality of the Christian faith. And it carries with it on the basis of this parable and all of the promises of the gospel, the promise of justification before God. We are looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary. Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy is our guest. We'll get into the Old Testament reading next. I like that we get to talk about these things and we hit it from a different angle, but because we love each other and because we have the same religious views, you know, church is the centerpiece of our lives. Worship is the centerpiece of our lives. Molly Hemingway speaking at the Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. So when we are just going back and forth on politics, it's really not that important relative to the things that do in, matter. And in all safe. seriousness, if you do not have someone in your life that you both completely trust and regularly engage in arguments with, you're doing it wrong. You can watch and listen to journalists Mark and Molly Hemingway's Q&A and all of the presentations from the 2023 Making the Case Conference for a contribution of $300 by Labor Day. We'll send you links to download a podcast or watch a video stream. Order today at issuesetc.org or by check. Make your check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod cares deeply for those who protect our nation. Are you or a loved one currently serving? Ministry to the Armed Forces would like to help. We provide devotional literature to encourage faith. Send your mailing address to lcmschaps at lcms.org or call us at 314-996-1337. Those in uniform are comforted with Psalm 28. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him and He helps me. It's commonly said that heresies are 90% truth and only 10% wrong, but it's the 10% that subverts all of Christian doctrine and all of Christian teaching by the essential errors that they promote. Well, if you're wondering about heresies, both ancient and modern, you should pick up a copy of the August issue of The Lutheran Witness, where we talk about these heresies, their ancient roots, and how to mark and avoid them. Visit cph.org witness to subscribe or learn more at our website, witness.lsms.org. Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. It's not about you. It's about Jesus for you. You're listening to Issues Etc. When Martin Luther preached the dedication for the Torgau Church, he asserted that nothing else happened in this house but that our dear Lord speak to us and we respond in prayer, thanksgiving, and praise. 
Issues Etc. guest Dr. John Pless. The same could be said of Concordia Theological Seminary. This is a place where our Lord speaks to us through His Word, and we respond in joyful and thankful confession. We therefore invite you to visit our campus where the Word of Christ dwells among us richly. Learn more about studying for the vocations of pastor or deaconess at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Forming servants in Jesus Christ to teach the faithful, reach the lost, and care for all. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. ctsfw.edu or 1-800-481-2155. The Church observes the person and work of Mary, the mother of our Lord. I'm looking at an ad crucem icon of Mary and Elizabeth with their children in utero, Jesus and St. John the Baptist, over their heads, the opening words of the Magnificat, My soul magnifies the Lord. This icon is available in two sizes, 5x7 and 8x10. Ad crucem icons are unique because they are printed directly onto the wooden plaques. That means they last and they look good for a long, long time. You can check out this icon of the visitation and all of Ad Crucem's beautiful icons at adcrucem.com, A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M.com. We're looking forward to Sunday morning. According to the one-year lectionary, Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. Pastor Bender, what is the Old Testament reading for this coming Sunday? It is, as we mentioned earlier, the account of Cain and Abel. Now, Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him.
This is the word of the Lord. So here in the Old Testament reading, we have an Old Testament account of works righteousness and of faith in the grace of God that corresponds with the gospel for the day of the Pharisee and the tax collector. I am reminded every time I read this Old Testament account of Cain murdering Abel, what the apostle says in Hebrews, by faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. What does that mean? There's a temptation to think that Cain's offering wasn't accepted because it wasn't very good. And Abel's offering was accepted because it was very good in contrast to Cain's that wasn't very good, but that's wrong. It's wrong because that is based upon a works righteous reading of this text. The apostle in Hebrews says that Abel's offering was accepted because it was offered in faith, in the Redeemer, in the one who would be the ultimate sacrifice for sin. So it was a confession of his faith in the grace of God and a thank offering for that grace. Cain's offering, on the other hand, was offered out of a works righteous faith. So it is as if Cain were coming to the Lord and saying, okay, Lord, here is my offering. It is the very best that I have, and now you owe me. And of course, that's why Cain's offering was then rejected. So when the Lord says to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Again, in Hebrews, it says, without faith, without faith in Christ, without faith in the gospel, it is impossible to please God. So this is all about the contrast between a works righteous faith, like that of the Pharisee, and a faith in the grace of God, like that of the tax collector. Cain is the Pharisee. He trusted in himself that he was righteous. And notice how that false faith, that works righteous faith, invariably, and we see this throughout the scriptures, results in a very self-centered, egotistical sort of life. So when the Lord confronts him with his sin and calls him to repentance, you know, where is your brother? He says, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? That is exactly the work or the attitude that flows out of a works righteous faith. In contrast to that, faith in the grace of God always manifests itself in looking outside of itself for the welfare of the neighbor. So Abel is the penitent. He trusts in the Lord and in his mercy. His offering was given not to merit God's favor, but as a confession of faith in God's mercy, as a thank offering for God's abundant grace. And that is why his offering was accepted. The Lord sets then a mark on Cain at the end. I mean, he's going to suffer and till the ground. It's going to be hard work. We're reminded of the curse of the fall here. And Cain, in this sense, signifies every human being who, because of the problem of sin and the fall and the corruption of our nature, we've got to contend with the difficulties of life. And God uses those by the grace of God to bring about our own repentance. But the Lord sets a mark on Cain, and that's a sign of his long-suffering compassion and a sign of his grace, not only for Cain, but for all of us, that he's not willing that any should perish, but ultimately that we come to the knowledge of our sin and that we come to repentance. What's the gradual? The gradual is Psalm 28. Portions of that Psalm, in God my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts 
and with my song I give thanks to him. To you, O Lord, I call, my rock, be not deaf to me. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help. So my heart trusts and is helped precisely because he is the God who hears and answers the cry of the penitent for mercy. This is what makes him our rock rather than ourselves. And because we approach him with faith not in ourselves, but in his promise of mercy in Christ, he is not deaf to the penitent's cry, but hears and forgives. Now, if we do not pray the gradual for the day, we could use the psalm for the day, which is Psalm 50, verses 7 through 23, and verse 14 serves as the antiphon. And that antiphon verse that we begin with, you'll notice how it really connects us to the worship life of the Old Testament, and then by extension, the worship life of the New Testament. So the psalm really is a prayer that is offered as a commentary, if you will, on the proper way in which to approach the Lord in the divine service. You know, one of the things I teach in catechesis is that catechesis teaches us how to receive God's gifts in the divine service. That would That is to say, you know, with what faith do we approach the divine service in the Lord's word and his sacraments? Do we approach it with faith in ourselves or with faith in the grace of God? So here's how the portion of the psalm for the day reads. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls, or drink the blood of goats? Of course, the answer is no. Offer to God the sacrifice of thanksgiving, and perform your vows to the Most High, and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. But to the wicked, God says, What right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you are pleased with him and you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free rein for evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done and I have been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself. But now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. So you can see the reprimand, the call to repentance, the exhortation against the Pharisee in this psalm for the day. If you think about it this way, both the Pharisee and the tax collector were participating in the liturgy of the divine service at the time of the evening sacrifice. Same liturgy, but one with a works righteous faith and one with a faith of God's mercy. 
So the works righteous faith, I don't need your sacrifices because you're offering your sacrifices as if these are your own works that make atonement for sin, and they're not. And in the meantime, you slander your brother who is there with you by denying him the very mercy of God that you think you are entitled to. So it disdains every form of self-justification and works righteous faith. And it calls us in this psalm not only to approach God in the divine service with penitent hearts, but to speak the truth of who we are truly before the Lord in penitent faith also with one another. We will get into the epistle reading in Ephesians 2 and the alternate epistle reading in 1 Corinthians 15 with Pastor Peter Bender as we look forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary next. Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. Journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. Journal. Just click the red journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. Does this sound like your church budget process at the end of the year? You get last year's budget and go through with a committee line by line, maybe what we should spend next year. Maybe you have a prayer. But where's the word of God in this process? When do the people hear what the small catechism says about giving and why we do it? Contact us at LCMS Stewardship so that we can help you fix this process Put the Word of God first and put your congregation on a good fitting. LCMS.org slash stewardship. Christ-centered, cross-focused, you're listening to Issues Etc. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial a podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. God's peace be with you from the beautiful Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Our Redeemer Lutheran Church in Kingsford, Michigan, invites you to include us in your travels to the Northwoods. As you enjoy the beauty of God's creation, we're here to deliver to you the unsurpassed beauty of God's gifts of word and sacrament, where Jesus Christ is found for our forgiveness, life, and salvation. To learn more about us, search us on Facebook or visit OurRedeemerKingsford.org. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest as we look forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary. Peter, the epistle reading is from Ephesians 2, the first 10 verses. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. 
But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. So, Todd, the epistle describes who we were as people who were dead in trespasses and sins, and who we are now in Christ Jesus by grace alone. The justifying word of forgiveness by grace alone and not by works is what makes us alive. It's that forgiving word that raises us from the death of unbelief and sin to the new life of faith. And it seats us with Christ at the Father's right hand. Sometimes the ESV has a propensity to translate the Greek word soma with body. That's good but rather the Greek word sarx with body, which is not good. The word sarx is flesh. And I was struck by the fact that in verse 3, it's translated, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, sarx, carrying out the desires of the body. But the word there is again sarx, the desires of the flesh. Flesh is Paul's most common reference to the sinful nature, to the old Adam. And I think the desires of the flesh, that's the yearning and the appetites and so forth, is what he especially wants to focus on. But we're redeemed from that by the blood of Christ. But isn't it the corruption of the flesh which so often scandalizes our conscience? So the key verse, of course, is 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this faith is not even of your own doing. So not even the penitent tax collector could take credit for his repentant faith. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, and so that our boast might entirely be of the Lord. There is an alternate epistle in 1 Corinthians 15. Yes, this alternate epistle, great beginning to the chapter on the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. 
This is the word of the Lord. So the good news of the gospel of God's grace in Christ is anchored in the events of salvation. So the gospel word is anchored in real events of salvation, namely the death of Christ for sin and his resurrection from the dead the third day, all according to the scriptures. And what I love about this at the end in its connection to the theme of the day that so emphatically emphasizes the grace of God in the atonement of Christ as our only access to God is that Paul concludes by saying that he was an apostle working to testify to this gospel, but it was by grace, by grace alone that he was an apostle. And by grace alone, he testified to the truth of God's justifying word in that gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection. What is the law and gospel summary of this coming Sunday, would you say? I'll make three points under each. I think the law must address, as we have been discussing, number one, the pharisaical self-righteousness within the Christian. I say within the Christian. The old Adam within, the flesh, so I emphasize the Greek word sarx in the Ephesians reading. The old Adam, the flesh, worships self, and this worship of the self manifests itself in lovelessness and a lack of compassion for others. So the law must address, number one, the pharisaical self-righteousness within us. Number two, every way that we deny God's grace for others by exalting ourselves over them as if we are entitled to a standing before God and they are not. Number three, anytime we see our confession of sins or any work of the liturgy as our work for which Christ forgives, this includes focusing upon any notion that our feelings or our emotional sincerity or enumeration of all our sins somehow are meritorious. So the law must address those things. And then the gospel for the day, as a broken and a contrite Christian, Jesus says to you, I justify you. I declare you righteous. Go home in the peace and joy of my forgiveness that covers all your sin. Number two, picking up on themes from the epistle, you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. This means we take credit for our own sin, but we give all glory and credit to Christ for any good and all good works in us because we are his workmanship, crafted by his justifying word. And number three, when the Christian in his or her conscience is troubled over sin, we're tempted to think that this means I've lost salvation. This is not the sign of the loss of faith but rather that struggle in the conscience is actually a sign of the presence of faith in Christ. Now, if we take that struggle and we move away from Christ, this is a serious problem. But the presence of the struggle means the presence of faith. And to this, then the Lord makes his promise, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And this is of inestimable comfort. 
Pastor Peter Bender is pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, thanks. Thank you. Wednesday on Issues Etc., we'll have pastors Brian Wolfmiller and Brian Ketchelmeyer respond to your unanswered Bible questions. You could submit a question via email, talkback at issuesetc.org, Facebook, facebook.com slash issuesetc, Twitter at issuesetc, or via the Issues Etc. comment line 618-223-8382. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., PO Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Bahama Mama, Ocean Pacific, Paradise Island. Retreat from the heat with the shaved ice snow cone from Tropical Snow in Caseyville, Illinois. It's right across the street from Collinsville High School. Tropical Snow is open daily from 1 to 9. Premium Snow, epic flavors, lots of love. Tropical Snow, across the street from Collinsville High School at 2134 South Morrison Avenue in Caseyville. In a world awash with all sorts of information, opinions, and ideas, there is still a place where God's Word is the central and only focus. Messiah Lutheran Church, 801 North Madison, Lebanon, Illinois. At 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings, God's people gather there to listen to Him. There you will find his words of law and gospel, and of course, our Lord's Holy Supper. Bible classes focus on the Bible and the Lutheran confessions. Come, listen, believe, and live, and check out our website at messiahlebanon.org.